Hello and welcome to the Thursday edition of the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Sararis and we are in the middle of the best few weeks of the hockey calendar round one of the NHL playoffs. My guest today, Ethan Levy, my boss at Gotham, host of the Obstructed Views podcast, NYG Weekly, one of the funnier followers you can have on Twitter, purveyor of Mediocre food takes. Ethan and I have a really good conversation about his beloved New York Islanders, their series against the Penguins. They played last night. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the series. We're going to talk a little bit about the Islanders season. Islanders are one of the more strategic teams in terms of how they allocate their resources. They've really maximized what they can do with a limited skill set. So they're always going to be able to drive conversation on sports shows like this, where I really enjoy the philosophies that go into team building, getting players to buy into having to do a few specific things as opposed to being the most well-rounded players. So we have a really good conversation about the Islanders coming up for you. But before I get to the conversation with Ethan, I do have to remind everyone, Please help support the show, whatever podcast platform you use, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, please follow the show. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you have an audited responsibility, please go to the show's homepage. Go to the bottom of that page. There's going to be five clear stars. You're going to want to hit the one furthest to the right. That's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a little button with purple lettering. It says, write a review. Leave a few words of encouragement. That stuff means a lot. Support your content creators. We're really working our asses off this time of year. Should have a blog up on Gotham SN, which you should be following if you're not already. Tomorrow, going to try and put a bow on the Rangers season, that kind of thing. And with all of that said, I will see you guys with Ethan on the other side of the drop. Here's Palmieri and Pajot into the Penguin zone. Three and a half to go here in OT. Palmieri with a shot. He scores! Kyle Palmieri, his second today, and the Islanders take game one. And with that, welcome on my very dear friend, the founder of Gotham Sports Network, the host of the Obstructive Views podcast, and NYG weekly every once in a while maybe. How are you doing, Ethan? Nicholas, I'm good. Very, uh, very appropriate intro with the uh, the NYG every once in a while. Hey, when the Giants are good, there's it's encouraging to talk about, but when, no one ever wants to just dwell on a team being miserable. So hopefully... Well, but the thing is, like, you can talk about a team being bad if they're bad in different ways. That's when true. they're When they're bad in the same way over and over again and just continue to make the same mistakes, there's just not much to talk about. Yeah. So... You are here, of course, to talk about your beloved New York Islanders, who are in the middle of their first round series with the Pittsburgh Penguins. The series is tied at one game apiece. So let's start with the obvious. You came into the season with very reasonable expectations. You figured the Islanders be a playoff team. They'd make some noise. They could do what they did last year in the bubble and be pretty competitive. And you've stuck to that even through that kind of rough stretch towards the end of the regular season where i think they were what three and seven in their last 10 going into the playoffs you still feel pretty confident about the team in spite of the fact they kind of played crappy down the stretch this is true yeah was that was that a question 
Yeah, I should have phrased it a little bit more like a question. Yeah. So why are you still have such confidence in the team in spite of how they played down the stretch? Uh, I mean, they have advantages in the most important areas. I mean, coaching wise, they have probably the best coach in the NHL. Um, his defensive systems unmatched. So you always have to feel good about that. And then their goalie matchup is, I mean, it's really like an, an A or an A plus versus like a, a D minus, like, uh, I'm going to take Varlamov and Sorokin over Tristan Yari like any day of the week, twice on fucking Sundays, three times on Wednesdays. Like it, it really is like night and day between the two of them. And it's very, it's very obvious even to like the naked eye, like what Tristan Yari's weaknesses are. It's just go fucking high on him and you're going to score. I mean, even Josh Bailey scored a goal last night. So <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they got advantages in those areas. It really is just going to, be uh whether or not some of their key guys step up i mean barzell's been pretty invisible the first two games but you do have those veterans who really you know the the quote unquote yeah he's an islander now so you know the the, the islanders version of earning their pinstripes with uh palmary in the, in the first game with his two goals and uh, jg pajot who's just been an absolute stud for the islanders in the playoffs i mean two guys that just show up every game so um yeah we got to see if guys like uh barzal and Bo can step up but I think the Islanders have advantages in the key areas. That is one of the reasons I'm kind of encouraged about the Islanders' chances in this series is that they've hung around in these games with their best players not really being able to contribute for whatever reason. And right. that's typically bodes well for a team in a playoff series if you're getting scoring from your depth guys and you're just waiting for your top guys to find their footing. Uh, I mean, Barzell's going to have an impact at some point. Every time he touches the puck, some crazy shit can happen because of how good of a skater he is. He's a walking zone entry and even playing with Leo Komarov on his wing, he managed to have, which is proven to be actually uh, not, not a bad thing yeah. <laughs> as, it, as it turns out as, as maddening as, as it is in theory. Uh, it seems to be, I don't want to say it's working. It's, it's not, <laughs> not working. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, obviously you'd like to have Anders Lee parking his enormous ass in front of the net. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That that's one of the things that historically the Penguins have had a hard time with. If you have a bigger bodied guy, you can park yeah. in front of the net. I mean, it's why Brock Nelson plays so well against them because they don't have anyone who can get his ass out of the way. And right. he's got, I think, go, going into the series, he had 24 points in 34 career games against the Penguins, something like that. And it's because they have smaller defensemen. You can body a Chris Letang out of the way. You can move a, a Brian Dumoulin. You can move a Cody Cece. And I mean... I don't expect Uncle Leo to have the biggest impact here, but at some point he's going to have to do the, all right, my enormous ass is in the way the puck's going to hit me. I got to make sure it gets on the net because we, like we said, the first line needs to get some offense going because the depth guys are doing their part. If your depth guys are doing your part, you have a really good chance of winning the series. The goaltending has been there. Yeah. Varlamov didn't look great on that first goal he gave up last night, but that's rust. He hadn't played in a week and a half or so. So, in the series, I really wanted to see what Trotz was going to do to try and limit what the Crosby line was going to do. And for the most part, it seems like his solution has been Pelican Pulak, which I think is the most interesting thing about the Islanders this year is they kind of just they figured it out. I know that sounds weird to say about a team that's largely the same and has had the same coach for a few years now, but you saw it for really long stretches during the regular season, like even the advanced stats people are like, yeah, the Islanders are actually good now. What was it about the Islanders this year as opposed to the previous two years under Trotz that 
things just kind of worked better in the regular season. It wasn't as bumpy as it had been in years past. You're talking about this past year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's just the familiarity um, and a lot of guys coming into their own. I think like one, one thing that I love about the team right now is there's like, yeah, like you have a top pair in Pelican Pulak, like those guys are very good, but outside of Scott Mayfield's like, and I guess sometimes Andy Green, like, like there's really no one that I feel uncomfortable with uh, when that pairing is out there. Like it's literally just Scott Mayfield. Cause he's can't skate for shit and yeah. uh, stone feet in his own zone. But um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, once you get familiar with that system, and it's like, it's all young guys, right? Like, Dobson was drafted under trots. Pelic is still young. Pulak's young. Uh, I mean, Nick Letty is probably, I mean, I say this, like, facetiously most of the time, but he is, like, one of the best skaters in the league. Like, Barzell, I mean, Barzell even said, he's like, yeah, he's a better skater than me. Like, <laughs> like, like he, he's a freak. So, if you have, like, that good combination of, of youth and that getting acquainted with that system, it's going to go pretty smoothly. It's very funny because I, I know we all like to give Lou a lot of shit for some of the contracts he doled out. I know Islander fans especially are still thinking about the, the some of the contracts Garth Snow handed out, but he saw something in Pelic. I don't know what the hell he saw, but wild. Three- it's absolutely wild that we we like we we look back and a majority of this team is Garth Snow. Yeah. And it's and like you know, part of it is uh, you know, his responsibility as GM is picking the head coach and he rolled with uh, Fred Flintstone and Jack Capuano, <laughs> or should I say uh, uh, current future Rangers head coach, don't, don't Jack Capuano <laughs> when him and Chris jury are, uh, you know, getting drinks together at worlds. But um, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, Bailey and Nelson and uh, Barzell was one of his picks and he signed Pellick to that ridiculous contract that was like five years and AAV of like so low. I don't even remember what the exact numbers are. And everyone's like, what the hell are you doing? Like protecting this guy in the expansion draft. It's like, it's crazy. A lot of these guys are Garth guys. One of the things that I think is really interesting is the clear break point. It's about like age 30, 35, where your opinion of Lou Lamarillo dramatically changes, where if you're <laughs> in our age bracket, you think he's just an out-of-touch geezer, but if you're yep. older than 35, you just – he won all those Stanley Cups with the Devils. He obviously knows what he's doing, and I don't want to say – a, re- a reasonable GM could have done the exact same thing, but you wouldn't have Leo Komarov and you'd still probably have Devontae's, which, I mean, I would like to have Devontae's on my team. And if the Islanders had him, it would only make their defense better because you're probably taking a Mayfield out. Do you feel like the delineation, the in opinion about Lou really is just a generational thing? Or do you feel like people our age are only really focused on guys who can, you know, skate, pass and actually play hockey? <laughs> so basically are we right and the old people are wrong yes <laughs> um yeah i think we're we are correct um you know one of the things that i've actually been thinking a lot about the last week or so is uh whether or not lou got lucky um yeah. like like i was a big proponent of the Pajot trade yeah. like loved him as a player great two-way player like brings that like energy that you're looking for especially for a guy who's not very big but then Palmieri and Zajac where I don't even think Zajac is active right now you're giving up a first round pick for a guy who's approaching over the hill status who had like a very miserable tenure with the Islanders and his you know a few games that he played with them before the playoffs started I guess so did JG Pajot um 
before the the pandemic happened uh but it's like you couldn't have pushed a little harder for for taylor hall like i mean zay jack had a great first game i still think i would have rathered him go after taylor hall for what is probably even a better price but again it's like that old person mindset i'm going to go with the familiarity the veteran leadership the guy that i know i can he's a winner he's not a a loser pussy cry baby like taylor hall is um so yeah i mean i i think it is a bit of a generational thing just in that mindset where like i feel like young people tend not to care as much about that familiarity continuity thing and they're just going to go for the best available player i mean he had leo komarov in toronto and he said all right i need to bring him to new york and we're going to also pay our fourth line 10 million dollars and we're going to bring matt martin back like yeah yeah Hey, you, you dodged a bullet because there was real murmuring that the Rangers were going to make Matt Martin an offer, but it kind of seems like he told them to fuck off. So that helped us out and it, and in theory helped you guys out. So his, uh, his out father and his father-in-law is going to make it happen at some point. I am. I'm confident. Didn't he sign like a four year contract at like 31 years old, but if 35 year old Matt Martin is a Ranger. That'd be very, very depressing. Yeah. Let me see. Matt Martin's sports rad. Let's see. Yeah. He's got, Oh my Lord. There's no way. There's no way, bro. If I if I had you guess what Matt Martin's career earnings total was, what would you guess? Sixty something million, fifty, wow. 50 to sixty million, somewhere Six, in that ballpark. Sixty-two. All right, yeah. Yeah, he's been good. about a he's been about a four, three to four million dollar guy pretty much his entire time since he got off his entry level deal. The, That's the mind blowing to me. Yeah, and then he had the cameo with the Leafs for a few years, and they gave him a decent ticket. So, yeah. if you find your niche, the hockey men, that club of two hundred guys, they're gonna look after you. Exactly. I mean, you saw we literally saw the Rangers fire a general manager and president because the general manager and president were more loyal to the hockey men than their own team. So <laughs> it, it really goes to show you just how entrenched the culture is and oh. how stubborn these people are. I mean, you had an opportunity to add f- future former Islander Taylor Hall to the mix for a bag of chips. And yep. Lou said, we'll go with the two guys I know. One of them is still pretty good, but hasn't been good in a few years. And the other one is just kind of a warm body who, if we need a fourth line guy, if someone gets hurt, can do that. So it's interesting. It's very, It's got to be frustrating, but at the same time, your confidence hasn't wavered. I mean, after game one, you came confidently in the chat. Yeah, the Islanders are going to win the cup. You felt... You feel that confidence, and in this series against Pittsburgh, who, you know, Pittsburgh is more talented on paper, but you see the little cracks. You see the little cracks every now and then, especially game one. Game one is a perfect example of what the Islanders do well. They came out really flat in that first period. They didn't look good, but they made adjustments as the game went on, and they got their legs under. Same thing happened last night, too, where they got their legs under them, and they got back into the game, and that's one of the advantages of, like you said, a veteran team that has familiarity with what Trotz wants to do. And Trotz is one of the best coaches in the league. So it's got to be really nice to have confidence in your team that they have some clue of what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Uh, especially stealing one on the road because yeah. now you come home with back-to-back games, at the Coliseum, like that place is going to be bumping. Yeah. And uh, I fully expect them to come out with three full periods of that same energy like no slow starts no giving up a garbage goal like they're going to come out flying they're going to dominate wire to wire like i really expect this to to be 3-1 going into the weekend or, if or you exiting get a, the weekend 
That yeah. would be... I picked the Penguins... Excuse me, the Islanders to win the series mostly for the intangible, the things I don't usually pick for in a hockey series. One of the main reasons <laughs> being, this is the last series, maybe, that the Collie's ever going to have. And yeah. I know what a sentimental place that is for so many people and what that means to Long Island. And the, like I always say, the Islanders are one of like... It's the Islanders and Billy Joel. Those are the two things that are the Long Island identity. If you want to say maybe Montauk or the Hampton, sure. But the Long Island identity is the Islanders. And it's important. I mean, I think about some of the things in recent history. I mean, obviously, the Tavares homecoming game is the most obvious one. But when the barn is rocking, it is loud, loud. And it is. A, it can be kind of a daunting place to play. Obviously, not full capacity, that kind of thing. But... The Islander fans are loud. They are going to be a presence in the series. And I know you kind of have made the home away from home. The pandemic has kind of messed that up for offsides and that kind of thing. But the Islander fans are going to have a place in this series. And I'm very excited to see what it's like on TV because when the barn is rocking, it's a great place. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if there's a game six, I will be there. But uh, until then, it's it's going to be nuts but the, the problem is it's not like like the old barn like unless i have asbestos falling down onto me from the <laughs> ceiling it's just not the same okay explain please elaborate what's changed why isn't it the same anymore well they renovated it so it's uh <laughs> it's like actually structurally sound now which is a, a bit of a disappointment but you know, maybe maybe at Belmont for old time's sake, it's like you know they can have instead of confetti, they could just drop asbestos all over you. Some, oh, bit, some insulation. The Coliseum's a special place. Like, yes, it's a dump, but it's but like it's our, how it was our dump. Exactly, it's like how Shea Stadium was a dump for Met fans. It was yes. that. It was part of the environment. It was seeing the familiar faces, the same people at every game because the Islander fans don't have as many people as some of the other fan bases, but I'd say their fans are as crazy and dedicated as any in hockey, if not more so. You, I mean, you Devin bought it. a fucking ambulance and got it, <laughs> like, painted up, and he's driving it all over the place. Oh, God. That, it's it's so... It, and you get the tailgating, especially for the Saturday afternoon game where you yep. get, like, the 4 o'clock puck drop. You get people pulling up in the parking lot at 10 a.m. like it's a college football game. Yep. It's one of those truly special things that we're losing in hockey that as hockey's becoming more corporate more it's losing its individuality every team and every in-game experience is becoming the same i hope the islanders keep what made them unique about playing on long island like yes it'll be nice to be in a nicer arena the belmont looks very nice hopefully everything is good to go for ubs arena that kind of thing but we just want hockey to feel like you know you wanted to feel like hockey when you were growing up as a kid now i go to a ranger game and it's the same 15 songs it's the same intermission videos it's the same presentation and the islanders had a good thing going for them and you just hope they don't lose their individuality here yeah i mean for better or for worse the islanders fan base has a large impact on uh how the team deals with like the culture surrounding the organization and, you know, unlike uh, Mr. James Dolan, who's playing in his band and, and firing employees and keeping people out, John Ledecky, for, you know, genuine or not, is uh, walking around, shaking hands, going to tailgates, fully embracing that, uh, that Islanders, I'll say, uh, those traditions. So I don't expect that to die with Belmont. 
if anything, maybe get a little more ruckus because uh, <laughs> we'll have a, a permanent home right across from a fucking horse racing track. So uh, I can't wait to go to the races and then go right across the parking lot to the game. You're talking about a dangerous combination between horse racing, the Islanders, yep. hockey in general, and then mobile sports betting. It's going to be a very dangerous place for a lot of people oh, in a very yeah. short period oh, of time. Yeah. Oh, God. Speaking of what you're looking forward to going forward, the rest of this series, in terms of your concerns, we, you mentioned the top guys, the Barzell, Bovillier not being able to score yet. Aside from that, is there anything else that's sticking out to you through two games as a, this is concerning me, I'm kind of worried about this? Is it just the quality of chances? Are they not getting the puck to great areas to shoot from? Is it just firing pucks from anywhere? What, in terms of what you've seen so far, could be giving you concern going forward? Well, one thing that might be off people's radar is the officiating. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I thought yesterday's officiating was... uh, not great. Uh, I think Wallstrom got called for one penalty, yeah. highly questionable. Um, but the Islanders seem to get targeted more than most teams, especially down the stretch in the regular season. Um, I mean, Barzell's, you know, notorious for taking some stupid penalties, but, um, you know, I just, and, and uh, who, who was it? Uh, tweeted about him. The guy who slid into Farlano. Oh, um, um, Tanev. Yeah, Tanev. Tanev not even touched. He just dove right into fucking Varlamov and, and no penalty. And Matt Martin steps up to defend him and he winds up in the box with a, uh, you know, double, you know, minor and minor, but that, that's, that's going to worry me. I, I really hope that they, uh, they're not like, Oh, Crosby, like let's, let's, you know, make sure that the penguins go further. Cause they're a bigger pole in the Islanders. Like let's uh, let's do it right here. The officiating in hockey in the playoffs is always horrendous, where you let a mugging happen. They let muggings happen pretty consistently. And then, you know, a pretty innocuous trip is, or an innocuous push is, all right, that's it. Can't have any more of that. That's two and two. I mean, at the end of the game last night in the um, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Wild game, where the Wild were coming back, trying to score with an empty net. And I think Kaprizov lost the puck and he just kind of threw his stick out with one hand, caught a guy in the shin. The guy went down to a knee and immediately got back up. And they called a trip on that after, you know, there's 40 seconds left in the game and it's an empty net and you let them cross check the shit out of each other for 58 minutes. You're really going to call that at that point. You just want consistency, whether it's exactly whether it's we're calling everything or we're calling nothing it's got to be one or the other there's none of this in between wishy-washy bullshit especially because you know the penguins have a really good power play and the islanders notoriously don't have the best of power plays so if they're going to get there you you want them to be able to score but for this series to go the islanders way they're gonna have to win this at five on five they're gonna have to score those goals you're gonna need to see you're gonna need the even strength stuff to work because that's where they were good this year in the regular season for the first time under trots like even the underlying numbers told you yeah this is actually working and this is sustainable i mean the islanders scored fewer goals than they were expected to this year which is a sign that they're actually playing pretty good offense for once right Well, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, they were third in the league in terms of expected goal share in the whole league. Um, oh, high wow. danger expected goal share, yeah. Okay. They really get the puck to good areas. And it fits because you have the big bruising types. You have the you had Lee, who was having a really good season before he hurt his knee. You have Brock Nelson, who likes to go down low. And then you have so many guys who are good at winning pucks in the corners. And one of the things I always say about the Islanders is I know a lot of people say they are boring. 
and they don't play the most exciting brand of hockey, they know what they're doing. All <laughs> of the pieces, the all of the pieces there are there for a reason. Yes. Yeah, some of some of them don't make the most of sense. Like maybe you probably shouldn't be paying all of these guys with the same exact skill set as much as they do, but the Islanders have really done a great job of maximizing what they have and getting buy-in from the guys once they're there. I mean, you see it. You see Peugeot got there. He fits now. They gave him the long-term extension, and he's one of their best players. And he's always been I would, I would argue that he is, he is like, it, when Barzell is not on, he is their best player. Of I, their I, would, I would argue that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's really part of what you said about the culture, the identity, that kind of thing. The Islanders are one of those teams that kind of has to use that as a poll for people is – yeah, we don't live. We don't play in a major metropolitan city. We don't have X. We don't have Y. But we're gonna spend money to be competitive. We have crazy fans. We got the best coach in the league. And once you get here, you're gonna love being a part of this team. Yep, absolutely. And you can tell because guys, once they get there, and if it works for them, they stay. They don't leave. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of what worries you about Pittsburgh. Obviously, you talk about Crosby, you talk about their power play, all that stuff. I don't want Malkin coming back. That too, yeah. They <laughs> haven't had Malkin for two ga- the first two games. I don't want him coming back. That's a, no- that's a guy who gives the Islanders a hard time. I mean, granted, Malkin gives everyone yes. a hard time, but historically he does give the Penguins a hard time. Yeah. The Islanders a hard time, excuse me. In terms of the goaltending, I know they went Sorokin game one because Varlamov couldn't go. Do you have a preference either way, or do you feel like the difference between the two is pretty marginal? I actually, we actually had this conversation at the bar last night. I am very rarely am I, uh, I hate this goalie uh, situation where like, oh, you should have played this guy, should have played that guy. I would have rolled with Sorokin. Um, you know, he let up three goals in the first game, but. He, he finally got uncomfortable, you know, I mean, he's your future. Yeah. Um, I would have rolled with him for the back-to-back road games and then switched to Varlamov, uh, especially coming off the injury, maybe give him an extra couple days. Uh, but I mean, at the end of the day, he still played well, you know, you could make the argument. He doesn't give up that softy. Maybe the Islanders win the game, um, but you're, you're not going to win very many playoff games or games period only scoring or, uh, you know, not, not being able to score more than two. So uh, can't really be angry. You know, if you had put a gun to my head, I probably would have started Sorokin again. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Because, I mean, the Islanders hadn't played in, what, like a week going into game one? So you figure by then... Well, he's coming off injury. Yeah, that too. He, yeah, he got so. a little banged up. So, uh, yeah, it, it would have been a little... Uh, I don't know. I, I would have done things a little differently. But that's why Barry Trotz is a Stanley Cup winning head coach with uh, Mitch Korn on staff. And I am sitting on my couch podcasting with you. Hey, everybody has to do something. That's this true. is what we're doing right now. So going forward, looking the rest of this series, you're talking about a really close series. I thought that coming in that either this or Washington-Boston would be the closest two series in terms of results. The, the goal differential, it really does seem like every game in this series is going to be a one-goal game since the empty net goal towards the end. What's your anxiety level been like through these games? Because it's been a while since the Rangers have been in a playoffs, but I know that the sheer dread of trying to win every game two to one, three to two is very pressing. What's it been like trying to just survive this so far? I'll I'll let you know when I start watching sober. (laughs) How's that for an answer? 
That's a very good answer. I, I, I mean, I, I don't strike you for the anxiety cigarette type, but I, I, I could see it. I could definitely yeah. see it based on, especially this kind of hockey where it's just going to be whoever scores last is going to win, and it's going to be every single game is going to be three to two, two to one because the styles are so contrasting. Where the Islanders want to slow it down, they want to muck it up, they want to play in the corners, and Pittsburgh just wants to turn every game into a track meet. So you have those conflicting forces going at one another. It's got to be painful, anxiety-inducing. And in these kind of games, it's going to be the weird, fluky bullshit that's going to be the difference. Like we said last night, the Wallstrom penalty. That wasn't a roughing penalty. I mean, yeah, if you want to call it by the letter of the law, maybe. But you want that to be the deciding factor <laughs> yeah. in a playoff game? Just right. let them play. Let them play. So we've got, we've touched a bit on the season. We've touched a bit on the playoffs this year. In terms of the regular season, what did you make of the East-only division? Because I kind of got tired of it after a while, and I felt like it was really unfair to the four playoff teams because none of them is that much better than another one, and they all just kind of beat the shit out of each other during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I, does anyone like it? I mean, right? Like, out of necessity, sure. Um, but I think we got lucky, honestly, like, I think in terms of, well, I'll say this for the fan experience, I think we got lucky because, you know, I'm sure like the Islanders wish they didn't have to play the Penguins as many times as they did in the Capitals as many times as they did. But from a fan experience, it's like, all right, you're going to get to get like super hype about your team beating the shit out of the Sabres and the Devils, but then you're going to get some quality hockey games against some like top, top caliber teams. If you're like in the Canadian division, like that's got to be boring as shit, man. Like, I'm sorry. I like, even if I'm the, even if I'm the Maple Leafs, like it's got to get a little boring, like watching your team, like beat the Canucks five one. Like, I don't know. I, I it, if, in terms of like, yeah, it's not ideal. It sort of sucked, but it could be worse. Yeah, that's true. And from what we're hearing, this is going away. This was a one-year thing because yeah. of the pandemic, which is good. And yes, as outside opens, more people at hockey games. It was very trippy to see the whole, the first game in the Carolina series, just seeing a full crowd. Yep. That yep. was very like, wow, we're like, we're making progress. This is nice. Dude, I'll I mean, tell you was... what, the, the bar, even though it was like, it was still like pretty crowded, but like mm. go in, like no one's more like, I'd say most people are vaxxed, but like no one's wearing a mask, like people high five and hugging, like drinking, like sharing food. It felt very normal, like very, very nice. And that's one of the things that's, I don't want to say it's unique to hockey, but with hockey, you see the same people, you know, yes. you get to know people You because <clears throat> I forget who says it, but there's a, per, I, there's some NHL commentator on some network who always says, there's no such thing as a hockey fan. Every hockey fan is nuts. There are no casual hockey fans. If you're a casual fan, you're not really a fan. And there yes, that's very that's very please like my sport of them. But it is kind of true. Like you go to as many games, you go to the same places to watch games. You get used to it. It becomes kind of a family away from family, that kind of thing. It's very yes. nice. It's yes. It's one of the things the Islanders do very well is you see the same people. I mean, I went to offsides a few times but pre-pandemic, and it was the same people every time. And it's really one of the things that makes hockey special. I agree, yes. The community around it is unmatched. Yeah, because I don't want to say, like, we're all neurotic when it comes to being hockey <laughs> fans. We're, we're all just kind of like, why am I thinking about Leo Komarov at 1.45 a.m. <laughs> when I have to get up to go to work tomorrow? Yeah. Why, is, why is Barry doing this to me? I don't know. <laughs> It really is something 
about hockey that makes it where you can't be casual about it. it nope. Someone's going to have to do a sociology paper on that. So I, turn, I would read it. it. It would be very, there's a lot of sociology papers about hockey. I want to do. That's one of them. The pipeline of the younger people who go from like K-pop in one direction to hockey, the <laughs> clear pipeline. There's a lot of sociology papers out oh there about God. hockey. It brings out a weird part of people is the main yes. part of that point. So we talked a bit about that. Now, in terms of going forward, the Islanders are kind of limited in what they can do because of salary cap implications, talking about post this playoffs and the limitations are kind of self-induced because they've given some people contracts. They do have to resolve Barzal long-term, which I'm pretty sure they're going to end up doing. If you could add anything to the Islanders, what would you say is their most pressing need? Is it another scorer? Is it a top four defenseman? Yeah. Yeah. Top, top six, Uh, another stud on the top six, Um, drop Bailey down, maybe get rid of, get rid of someone in the, uh, the expansion draft or, or make a trade for some cap relief, but yeah, they, they, they need like an elite scoring presence. I don't know if that's even going to be available uh, in this off season. I'm not even sure who the free agents are, but yeah, they, they have a bunch of guys who are streaky, but when they're on, they're very, very good. But when they're not, it's like, there's, there's nothing redeeming about them. Hey, uh, I enjoy Brocktober from a gambling perspective because every single year the season start the season yeah. starts Brock Nelson over half a goal. Yes, yes. <laughs> every for eleven games in the month free of October, money. every single free money, and it it's weird because you see it literally at, over the course of a season where yeah Nelson has a great three weeks, then Bovillia has a nice run. They never get everybody going at the same time. It's like a baseball team where it's always three guys who are hitting well and everyone else is just kind of there and you got to find the efficiencies. And I think part of the reason the Islanders are like that is because of the types of chances they take in terms of where they shoot from and the type of chances they look to create because they are such a four checking team, such a playing it along the board cycling team. A lot of their shots come from crappy areas in hopes of creating those second chances, the rebounds, the deflections, that kind of thing. And I don't know if there's a way and you get the best of both worlds where if you just drop another shooter in there, someone in their top six i mean if lee is healthy would you still say that's the same answer you still need another top six guy yeah it's like the problem with this team is that like, like lee is good like lee scores but he's so one-dimensional like yeah i want like a like a fucking panarin type of player <laughs> like not like like that kind of style like that yep. speed like that elite like can score at will type of player I will say the one thing I really envy about the way the Islanders play is whenever someone has the puck, aside from Scott Mayfield, they don't what <laughs> they don't panic. Like yes. I, when I when I watch the Rangers, a lot of the time someone gets the puck at their stick. They look down at the puck, which is like, you know, something I did playing hockey in <laughs> high school, which, you know, if you're looking down. At oh, shit, the puck, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Where am I? Who's open? Who's open? And you see the panic in their face and. It's what it goes back to what I said earlier about everybody buying in and playing a certain way is someone's always getting open to receive the pass. And the Islanders have really, really, I don't want to say they found an inefficiency because Trotz has been playing like this everywhere, whether it was with Nashville or with Washington, but they found a way to be competitive with a lesser talented team. And 
I want to see more teams attempt to play like this. I know obviously there's a reason they don't, but it it's I don't want to say it's the money ball, you know, walks are as good as hits kind of thing, but if you slow the game down and there's fewer total chances in the game, you really insist on forcing pucks in down low, and more of them will go in because they're from better areas. It's a really good way to play hockey and it works for the Islanders talent because like you said, they don't have that what that two-way dynamic player who can shoot like crazy and also make their line mates better. We saw it this year a little bit in flashes. When Barzell wants to shoot, he can be a very good shooter, but he's still hesitant to shoot for whatever reason. Yeah, and he also draws a lot of attention himself when he's got the puck yeah. for good reason. Um, but back to your other point, like Trotz deserves a lot of credit for implementing the system. And I think he deserves an equal amount of respect and kudos for getting the buy-in for that yeah. system. It takes a special kind of coach to say, Hey, we're going to play like not a very flashy, but very efficient and very workable form of hockey. You're going to buy in and sort of like, like you could argue a guy like Barzell like doesn't really fit that mold, but he bought in. And like all these other guys, like some fit more than others, but that buy-in is just huge. It's a perfect example because you, you see it all the time where the star player doesn't play the way the coach wants to, and the coach runs them out. I mean, yes. you, you saw Tortorella do yep. it to more than one person. I mean, it's pretty clear that something along those lines was happening with the Rangers towards the end of the season with Zabinijad, with Ryan Strom, where it's like, yeah, we want to pass the puck around and try and shoot. And Quinn is like, don't do that. And there was a clear disconnect. And yeah, that is truly the sign of the elite coaches. They can do the X's and O's like the Islanders do, but they also do the emotional, the button pushing, the kind of stuff that works for them. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. wrapping up here, two of the last things I wanted to ask you. Number sure. one, purely from an entertainment perspective, not including the Islanders, what playoff series would you like to see in any two teams? It could be in the second round, like Vegas, Colorado. It could be in the cup final where it could be like Colorado, Carolina, something ridiculous like Toronto and Montreal. Well, Toronto, Montreal is round one, but something like Toronto, Pittsburgh in the final. What would you like to see purely from an entertainment perspective as a hockey fan islanders leafs <laughs> oh god that would be amazing in the final four to get to the cup final islanders yep. leafs that would be very fun yep um my other answer is one that is going on right now that i think is not really uh meeting my expectations from an oh game one did but not really game two uh florida panthers tampa Lightning. yeah uh i put quite a lar large amount of money on the uh, Florida Panthers plus 133 or something like that to win the series. Um, and it's going, uh, it's going about as well as, as uh, most people thought against those cheating motherfuckers. I, I see, I keep going back and forth on that with the lightning and the cap circumvention because of course, because if your team was doing it successfully, you'd be cheering exactly. it on. You wouldn't give a shit, but it's not our team. So we want to call them cheaters. So, uh, exactly. you know, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, I Islanders Leafs was for a trip to the Stanley Cup final would be very very fun. I mean, the Leafs probably are gonna get there. I, I mean, if the Islanders get through this series, it'll probably be in six or seven games against a Boston or a Washington team that played six or seven games. Coming out of this division is going to be a gauntlet, a knife yes. fight, whatever word you want to use to describe it. If 
what would you consider successful season for the Islanders? Is it getting to round two again? Is it getting to the conference final and again? Get to the cup. Get to the cup, yeah. Get to the cup. I mean, this team's window is not uh, not going to be open for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably have another year after mm-hmm. this where, I mean, that we know of, right? I mean, things can change very rapidly. Um, you don't know, like, what other teams' rebuilds don't go as planned or which teams that are competing blow it up um, and fire everyone. <clears throat> um, with the Islanders, like, yeah, they got a young core. Um, there's going to be some more cap decisions to make. So you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, last year they were a couple bounces away from forcing a game seven and maybe making it to the, to the Stanley Cup themselves. So uh, that's the expectation for me. It should be the expectation for uh, most of the fan base. I mean, yeah, they are a Brock Nelson breakaway in overtime from forcing a game seven. His, yeah. If his controller just doesn't die. <laughs> we're, oh. we're going to game seven. That was such a good series. I mean, it 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 bears repeating how much of a hard time the Islanders gave the team that won the cup. I mean, yeah. I don't want to say they gave them a better fight than the Stars did, but they kind of did. They did. They really, they really, really did. Yeah. Just by mucking it up and slowing it down. And like you said about them getting the buy-in and playing a non-flashy style, they play playoff hockey regular se- in the regular season. Yeah, where they it's play it all hard- year round. And it's why they play so well in the playoffs. And it's one of those intangible things that I said when I, why I picked the Islanders to win the series is they play like this year round. They are constantly in these close games because yes, they can't score, but also because they're so good defensively and you roll the dice every time. I mean, this is kind of like the opposite of what we talk about in football, where we say, I'd rather try and win every single game 45, 35, because it's easier to try and score points than it is to stop offense. In hockey, it's the opposite. If you can hold the total number of scoring chances in a game to something in the 50s, and you say, we get 30, they get, you know, 22, 23, I like our chances we can win that game if we slow it down and shorten it. And it's really... Not, not only just total chances, also the high danger chances. Yeah. That's a big to part of it. Back. Yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, Trotz has done that his whole career where we only want good shots. If you take a shot from the point, someone's got to be down low for the rebound. Otherwise, on the opposite side also. Yeah. Like they'll force everyone to the outside. Like they don't care if they give up 40 shots as long as it's, uh, you know, they're, they're easily, easy, easily stoppable. I mean, that's why the Islanders, I think they were second in the league at five on five save percentage this year because they give their yeah, goalie yeah. a chance. They give yeah. their goalie a chance to play well. And it's one of the things that is a hallmark of a good team is they've got everybody doing the best they can and what they're asked to do. And it really has made them one of the inch. It feels weird me saying this because, like, you know, I'm a Ranger fan. I The Islanders should annoy me. But from just a sports fan, a hockey fan perspective, they're one of the models of what you would do if you were starting a team from scratch is you got to get everybody to buy into what you're doing. That's yes. the foundation. And then you got to fit the pieces in where you bring in some of these guys from outside, you get the Pajot, you identify him as someone, if you give him increased responsibility, he's going to be able to succeed with the increased responsibility. And it feels weird saying, I like what the Islanders did and what they're doing, but you know, as a hockey fan, this is a really good example of what you should be doing if you're a small market team. Yeah. If you're the Columbuses of the world, the Minnesota. I mean, Carolina's done this, but like on steroids, but it's yeah. the same kind of thing. Well, you have an owner with as much money. Oh, you know. yeah. Dundon, yeah. Hey, 
uh, you think Ledecky's going to the Olympics for what is his his niece? Yeah, his niece That's is his the, niece. the swimmer. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan, thank you so much for like an hour of your time on a random pleasure. What day of the week is it? Wednesday? Yeah. Today's Wednesday. Wednesday. Yeah. I got nothing going on this afternoon, so uh, you know why not? Maybe I'll see you in Verdansk later. Maybe. Let me know. Word. Thank you All so right. much to Ethan for coming on. I will be back with you guys tomorrow. Not positive who the guest is for Friday. I will talk to you guys then. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode with Ethan. See ya.